Wisdom Podcast. My name is Holly Weaver, and I'm the owner and operator of Rosebud Wellness, where I practice women's holistic health, utilizing acupuncture, Chinese herbalism, yoni steaming, and Arvigo abdominal massage. And I'm also a new mama. This podcast will be part information on women's holistic health practices that I use in my practice, and part conversations with women who are mothers or hope to be mothers on their journey through menstruation, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and motherhood. Please enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. This episode is brought to you in part by the Rosebud Wellness Shop. You can find us over at rosebudwellness.com shop. On the shop, you'll find six different Yoni Steam herb blends that are used for a variety of different conditions. There's a blend to help with painful periods, one for cysts, fibroids, endometriosis, one for infections like yeast infections or bacterial vaginosis. There's a moisturizing blend that can be especially useful in the postmenopausal phase. There's a postpartum specific blend for the time period after giving birth. And there is a strengthening blend that can be helpful for women that have spotting issues, either mid-cycle, before or after their period, um, or for women that have really heavy bleeding. Even with all of the information that I have on the shop, it could also be useful for you to consider setting up a consult with me for a little bit more guidance, and that is also available on the shop. So again, that is rosebudwellness.com shop. All right, welcome back everybody to the Womb Wisdom Podcast. I am here today with Corinne Brown and her business is called Brown Roots Love. And she is a naturopath, a former naturopathic doctor. She uh, has created the Love Your Labor course, which is how I found her. I took the course while I was pregnant with my daughter. Um, and that actually led me to having my home birth and feeling really prepared for that. Um, she's also the author of the Badass Birth Goddess book and a number of YouTube videos, and is a mama to three babies. And she helps women to speak their truth, raise their vibe, and advocate for medical freedom in labor and in life. So welcome, Corinne. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Holly. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, cool. So before we started recording, um, we were, I was kind of just giving you the lay of the land and kind of what we'll go through today. And you mentioned that you were just thinking about your first period today, which is really fun. So if you can share about that experience, how old you were, what the conversation was around you amongst your family, your friends at school, anything that you thought about that time or experienced. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I don't get many opportunities to speak on this, obviously. Um, but yeah, I would say that this was, I'm, I was actually thinking about it today and asking myself, was that a, a trauma for me? Because the reason I think it is because every time I'm getting ready, I like, I'm drying my hair, I'm doing my hair, I'm doing my makeup. I get this anxiety in my chest, this tenseness in my chest every time. Mm -hmm. And that will make sense at the end. So let me explain what happened on the first, the first day of my first period, I was getting into the shower. My family was going somewhere and I was using the washroom and I wiped and there was blood and I had no clue. I was 10 years old. I had no idea what this was. This was not an open conversation in our house and none of my friends had had their periods yet. So I thought I was dying. I was 
really scared. I'm actually shaking now thinking about it because I actually remember now that I was shaking at the time and just kept wiping. That was all I could do was just like, oh my God, it's still there. Oh my God, it's still there. Oh my God, it's still there. So I ended up not showering, went and found my mom, like flushed the toilet, went, found my mom and was like, I, I'm bleeding. I don't know what's going on. And then it clicked for her and she was like, okay. And then I hear my brother scream from the bathroom <laughs> because the toilet overflowed because there was so much toilet paper. So then the whole bathroom was flooded with bloody toilet paper and my brother and my stepdad were having to clean it up while I was in the bathroom. Oh no, I did shower. I did shower. This is the point. Okay. So I did shower and then I went and found my mom and then they had to clean up all of that while my mom was blow drying my hair. And she was like, you want, you know what this is, right? And I had no idea what this was, but she like, God love her, but she is not one to talk about periods or poop or any bodily function whatsoever. So I was like, yeah, I know what this is. And I had no idea what it was, but based on her reaction, I was like, okay, I'm not dying. So that's fine. And then I, she went and got my stepdad to get me some pads at the store and I used them. I still wasn't really sure what was going on. I'd never told anyone. And then it was actually a couple of months later, my dad and my stepmom sat me down and were like, this is what happens to women and blah, blah, blah. And it, like everything clicked. And I was like, oh my God, that already happened to me. And they were like, what? You're 10 years old. And I was like, I know, but I had no idea. And so they, you know, she showed me how to use a tampon and like the whole thing, like explained it all to me. So then I was able to share it with my friends um, who all knew they were all had older sisters. Their moms told every, told them everything. And so I was like, I felt so in the dark. Um, but so they were all super happy for me. So I was like, okay. So I started to kind of come around to the idea. Um, but I wonder like every time I'm getting ready, I get this sensation. And today I was like, I wonder if it's like, because of that, because that memory is so vivid in my mind that she was just blow drying my hair. And I was like, a deer in headlights, I'm sure like so scared and not knowing what was going on. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine that experience. I was more of like a late bloomer personally. Mm. I was 14. So I was kind of the last of my friend group and they had already been talking about it at school. I have a similar, uh, my mom wouldn't ever tell me anything. Um, right. So that's really cool that all your friends had moms that were talking about it and sisters. Yeah, like and nurses and yeah. 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 And 10 is on the earlier side um, for sure. And I think it's a little bit more common now. So I kind of hope that they're teaching uh, about it a little bit earlier in schools too. Do you remember yeah. learning about it in school after that? I can't recall. No, no, I don't know. Like when we, when that subject was broached in school. Right. You were probably like, oh, I already know about that. Yeah, all this. <laughs> yeah. So um, how were your periods for you? Like, did you have any issues, irregularities, pain, uh, PMS type stuff? Yeah, like PMS, like headache, moody, um, fairly heavy, I would say. Like some of my friends were like, oh no, two days, light, light panty liner, I'm good. And I was like, okay, that's not me. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I... Um, yeah, heavier, I would say so much so that it was like tampons were less of a 
less of an option for me mm. because I would just be always constantly leaking through them. Right. Yeah. So, and I hated them anyway. So I was like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Just, they're, they're kind of the worst. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then did you ever, uh, go on birth control for any reason, whether it was for birth control or for the heavy periods or anything like that? Yeah, no, it wasn't for my period. Um, but again, with my dad, my dad, like <laughs> coming in with the reproductive health. Um, no doubt. Well, <laughs> yeah. So he, uh, when I was 16, I had like a serious boyfriend and he was like, do we need to have the talk? Like, is this happening? And I was like, it's not happening yet, but it might be happening soon. And um, he's like, yeah, if you're going to be sexually active, like you just really. So he took me to his doctor um, who was also a man. So it was me and <laughs> two men in the room talking about my sexual activity. And, uh, so anyway, he gave me birth, uh, control and I was, I was probably on that. Like I was on that throughout university and that was when I was 16. So it was like, yeah, a solid, probably six years mm -hmm. on it. And did you have any issues with the pill? Like, did it do anything disruptive to your cycle or your mood or anything it regulated my cycle um I would say that I was I mean it was never irregular but it was fine like it stayed the same um I would say I was and who knows if it's that or like just you know being early 20s or late teens you know just I was not an easy teenager whatsoever but I was extremely like moody mm. more so moody with the PMS than I was without it I found it really hard to control like anger. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and that was taken out on my parents and my boyfriend. And I was just like kind of this raging rager for a little bit of the month kind of thing, mm -hmm. um, which has like, that's totally not a part of my cycle at all now. So it's like, I don't know if it was hormones or that, but it's not like I stopped taking birth control um, probably in my last year of university. And uh all of that stopped too. So yeah, sounds like it probably was related then. Yeah. So, um, and then when you stopped taking birth control, was it because you were ready to get pregnant at that point or you were just kind of becoming aware that it maybe wasn't the best thing for your system? Not even, unfortunately I was actually, well, it was a bit, yeah. Like I was on my way to Toronto to become a naturopathic doctor and I didn't I didn't have a doctor there. I just kind of like let it run out and didn't, you know, I didn't have a boyfriend at the time. And then when I did, we just would use other contraceptive methods. Mm -hmm. And then of course in naturopathic school, I was like, oh wait, wow, this is, whoa, yeah. <laughs> I need to not be doing that. Um, but I wasn't at that point anyways. But so, yeah. Yeah. I uh, stopped taking birth control in acupuncture school for that same reason. I was yeah. just like, oh, Good to know. <laughs> this is yeah. not, not the best, not to demonize it, but it's, um, there are other yeah. ways to manage your fertility. So yes. it sounds like you're doing that. And then, um, at what point did you decide that you wanted to become pregnant? And then you can talk us through your fertility journey, if it was challenging or if it was kind of a breeze. Yeah. So basically as soon as I, oh, actually I had an IUD in there as well. So oh, okay. how did that go? I, um, it was short-lived, I would say. Um, I, when I was starting to get serious with my now husband, I didn't want to go back on birth control and I don't love condoms. And uh, we were like, well, let's try this. So 
um, heavy periods, like extremely for days, like two days I was like out mm. and it was so bad. We were just like, this is not worth it. My God, we'll just, uh, continue using condoms. So that was that. And then basically as soon as I graduated ND school, I was like, and on with the baby making. Like I was, he was like, don't you want to get married? I'm like, yeah, but like babies, I was so like baby driven. So we had like a, a small, very subtle wedding so that it was like green light to have babies. Um, and we were trying for like, oh, I don't know, three months or something. And then my husband broke his ankle and had to get surgery. And it was like, okay, universe, it's not the time. Got it. Cause I was still like sorting out my profession and like my, like my clinic stuff. And then it was a year later and we were like, okay, let's do, let's try this again. So then we tried again and it took us eight months. So it was, it was a, you know, it was getting pretty daunting. I'm sure like lots of people have longer, um, you know, a, trying to conceive periods, but eight months is it's enough. You're like, yeah, okay, not nothing for sure. Yeah. yeah. So by the time it happened, we were super, super grateful. Um, were you during that time, I hope I'm not interrupting, but during no. that time, were you pretty aware of the times of your cycle that were fertile and the times that weren't like you were aware of cervical mucus? Did you do any like temperature tracking or use OPKs or anything like that? No. Okay. No, we, yeah, uh, we were, I was like, maybe toward the end of that eight months, I was starting to get more like, okay, we need to like, but I was trying to make it like less, relaxed. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I feel like it, you can get so pressured into it that it's not fun anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, so I didn't, I didn't want it to feel like that. So I was like, it'll happen. It'll happen. It'll happen. And then really starting to double down a little bit in the end. And then it happened. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. And then that pregnancy was, was great. Like everything was so great. I was planning a home birth. I was so excited to be pregnant because I was a prenatal naturopathic doula, prenatal naturopathic doctor and a labor doula. So I had like attended births and I was like, I had always been in love with bellies and babies and mothers and birth. Like I would hear my mom and my aunts and my cousins and my grandmother even talk about these super short, fast, easy births that they all had. So I was like, okay, great. I'm like, I'm in there. I got their genes. Like, this is amazing. I'm going to have a home birth. I'm going to, I was like right into Ina Mae Gatskin and that whole scene. I was like, this is going to be great. I know everything I need to know. I, I didn't do any labor preparation um, because I was thought I was going to have a four hour power birth. Like all the women on my mom's side of the family. So I was like, I don't want it to be a two hour birth. I don't want to like traumatize myself. So I'm just going to like, let my body do her thing. So that was a planned home birth. It was a week before my due date. And I was like making the bed one night and I just started having contractions. It was like the easiest thing in the world. And we had been seeing the midwife and everything was like good to go for our home birth. We were all set up. So we labored at home. I called my doula who lived five hours away. So she came, she's like, I thought you were having a four hour birth. So she came right away and we labored at home for 12 hours. And I was like, this is not going to be a four hour power birth. Like what is actually going on? And then we're like, okay, it was like through the night that we were laboring. So I was like, we should probably get some rest. So as soon as I lay down, my water breaks. And my friend who's my doula was also a naturopathic doctor and knew all of, was also a doula. So like knew all of this. So in my, um, uh, amniotic fluid, we could see meconium. Mm. 
And we were like, okay, this is not the best. We uh, don't know what's going on. So we called the midwife. She came, checked me, confirmed it's meconium and checked my cervix. And was like, well, you're five centimeters dilated, but this is not his head that I'm feeling. I don't know what's going on. He felt like he was head down when the midwives were palpating, but uh, she's like, we actually, you're no longer a good candidate for a home birth. We got to get out of here. And you actually can't stand up because your cervix is actually like not covered. And so if the umbilical cord slips out, then we have a serious medical emergency. We don't want that. So I was removed from my house on a stretcher, taken to the hospital by ambulance, totally traumatized, like just couldn't believe what was happening. I didn't pack a hospital bag. I didn't ever even entertain the idea of a hospital birth or transfer. So we get there and they do an ultrasound and find out the baby is Frank breach. So he's bummed down and his feet are up by his ears. And so during, during your pregnancy, did they identify, did you have any ultrasounds at all? So I did in the, I had the 20 week one, but that's not a positioning ultrasound. And then, um, at about 37 weeks, my midwife was palpating and was like, I'm just, I'm going to just check with the senior midwife. And then she came in and introduced herself and palpates and goes, Nope, he's head down. You can tell right here. And okay. Leaves the room. And my midwife's like, do you want an ultrasound just to like, be sure. And I was like, no, I'm going to go with what she said. I like what she said. And I also knew in the back of my mind that if he was breech, I, it would be automatic C-section. Like I would no longer be out of mid, in midwifery care and I would have no attempt to labor. Yeah, that makes sense. So I was like, I'm just going to go with what she said. That feels good. And so that's what we did. Um, so once they found out that he was Frank breech, <laughs> sneaky little guy. Uh, he was also nine pounds, 14 ounces. So it was probably like, he was big in there. So it's probably hard to tell, but anyway, thank God we got this old. He was so old. He was like this hippie OB. He was wearing cowboy boots. He had a huge beard. He was about to retire. He was like, I can see you are devastated at the idea of a C-section right now. Like, cause I was attempting a home birth. Like this was totally out of the blue. And he's like, I've delivered vaginal breach babies before. So we're going to do that. We're going to have a trial of labor. We're going to do this. Like, and every doctor in the hospital and all their interns were coming in, like, can we watch, can we learn from your birth? I'm like, yes, because I knew that if I wanted other people to be able to have the option of a vaginal breach delivery, that I would have to be the one to teach them. So I was like, yeah. And I had just come out of naturopathic school where I had like so many medical models teach me. So I was like, yeah, this is just like, I'm just paying back to the (laughs) medical community. So I was like, yep, let's, let's all pile in here. And in hindsight, I'm like, did that mess me up? Like, did that spook me, you know, out of a smooth and efficient birth, but who knows? Well, just having all those people looking at you, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So there's, there's those two sides of that. Like, Hey, you want to be as, you want to be as private and as cozy and as safe as you want, as you can be. But also I was like, no, I am here for the mission. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to be a hero. So anyways, 12 hours later, there was no more progress in my cervix. And this angel of an OB just kept being like, okay, we'll just keep, it's like fine. And we'll just keep going. And then his shift ended (laughs) and the new OB came on and he's like, we are so done here. Like Mm -hmm. you are not progressing. Let's sign these con consent forms and like, off you go. So I just like balled through everything, balled through the signing, balled through the whole, like uh, operating room set up and everything. Kyle came in, we did the ultrasound or we did the C-section. I felt like I wasn't even there. 
it was like I was behind the curtain and they were all like talking amongst themselves like not including me it was so traumatized the whole thing I was just bawling it was so traumatizing um anyways they pull out this this huge baby and because there was meconium he had to be whisked whisked away to the NICU and then eventually I meet him all swaddled up I only see like his little cheeks and his face and then he has to go with Kyle to do skin to skin while I'm like getting put back together in the operating room so it was over an hour that we were separated and uh yeah and the postpartum was (laughs) exactly what you might expect following that like breastfeeding difficulties and just sobbing a lot. And like, so I was, I had told everybody that I was having a home birth, like my whole community, my, my, all the midwives I was working with, like my, all my family, my friends, everyone. And I got a lot of flack for it, but I was like, no, this is what I'm doing. It's going to be great. And then it like didn't happen. And I was so embarrassed. I had so much regret. I could have prepared. I could have known he was in the proper position. Like there was so many regrets so much embarrassment, anxiety, so much anxiety, but that anxiety is what caused me to do a shit ton of research into optimal, like how to optimize and smooth out the birth process, how to set yourself up, line your ducks up in a row. And, and that's actually what eventually turned into love your labor. Like, so it's all yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like, it was all maybe part of the the whole trajectory of your experience, but Absolutely. so you mentioned that your mom and your grandma both were like pretty efficient, uh, birthers and do you, did they do anything to prepare? Because I'm always caught between the space of like bodies know what to do. Like women know how to birth. And I'm kind of like overachiever type A person that's like, I'm going to do everything, which <laughs> part of what I loved so much about your program is that it gave me an outlet for like all of these different things that I could do to try to set my, myself up to have a positive experience. But I think it's important to have that sort of like balance of like you have some control, but also like when a baby is breached. Yeah. But I mean, it sounds to me like you, you kind of had that balance of, of I'm going to do everything in my power. And then the rest is just up to whatever, you know, the universe, like whatever shows up. So anyway, so um, the postpartum experience, it sounds like it was really challenging. Um, Challenging. Yeah. And is there anything you'd like to share about like C-section recovery or like, were you able to breastfeed in the end? I know that like having a C-section can sometimes impact that with like just the cascade of hormones being different. Um, so yeah, maybe you can tell us about anything that you learned from that postpartum experience. Yeah. Um, the healing from the C-section, I actually feel like I've blocked a lot of it out. I don't, it's like hard to really remember. Um, but I just remember being, feeling so helpless. Like I hated that I couldn't sit up in bed. I couldn't get ready to breastfeed by myself. I couldn't stand up. I couldn't like, you can't carry anything heavier than your baby for eight weeks. So it's just, you feel so like frustrated. Um, so that was like, that was, you, you, you need incredible support. And my husband was really the only one there. So that was very hard for us. Um, but yeah, I was able to continue breastfeeding. So I breastfed all of my kids for two years was like my goal. Um, and 
but it was a solid eight weeks of poor latch, nipple pain, nipple damage. Milk supply ended up being okay. Um, but like having to get up, bundle everyone up is like the win a winter baby, of course. And like, go to the lactation consultant and just like ball with them because it's the third one that you've seen and it's still not working. And like, but anyways, eight weeks, something clicked. Thank God. I used to have to have my husband like push the baby's head on. <laughs> like it took two of us to latch him on. Um, but anyways, I don't know what that was, but I never had any breastfeeding issues after that. We were able to just like coast right on through. Yeah. So, do you feel like some of it was what you learned from the lactation consultant, like in terms of positioning? Yeah, I would say like they were the, the third one that I went to, she, she worked. She mm. was like, okay, this is what you're doing wrong. This is what we have to fix. And then it worked. And I was like, thank you, Lord. Yeah. And that's another thing that like, maybe you, people don't think about like, oh, women breastfeed, like whatever, but it is something that you kind of need to like learn about in advance potentially, yeah. um, which there's a module in love your labor that is about breastfeeding. And I remember that, like having that awareness of how to position your baby's mouth and head, um, was yes. really helpful for me too. And I mean, everybody's experience is different. Like sometimes babies have trouble, even if the position is, mm -hmm. is right, but, um, yeah, but yeah tongue, just tongue ties, lip ties, all exactly. that all plays into it. But like, um, you, you know, your birth experience, I actually did a podcast this morning also. So I'm like, yeah, so, but the, um, the birth experience actually, like I, I, I want to focus on that and protect that because it's this tattoo on your soul that's going to impact you forever, but also having a positive birth sets you up for a positive postpartum. It's like hormonally. Yes. And like every way physically and like mentally, emotionally, like all of it. And it also sets you up for positive breastfeeding. And that's why it's part of the Love Your Labor program. Because I'm like, it's so closely tied to your birth experience. It's in, within one hour that you're trying to latch that baby on. And it's like, not easy. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not easy. You need, to, you need the technique. You need to know what to do. So it's like, so important um, for that postpartum experience, just to be able to like shift into breastfeeding mode easily, confidently, like that's everything. Yeah. Yeah. That's totally, totally true. So then, um, when you were ready to conceive your second child, how did, how did that go? Like, were you nervous about being pregnant and, you know, is this going to happen to me again? Or like, totally. is there anything that you did to kind of prepare for being pregnant again and going through that experience? Yeah. I waited almost four years. I was like, People were like, when are you having another one? Because I always said I wanted to have three to five kids. And people were like, your first is four. Like, are you not pumping them out? Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm so scared of that happening again. I really felt like it. it sh my confidence was shot. But in those four years, I was helping other women to have natural birth experiences. So I was like, I was starting to feel more confident. We were like, okay, we're ready to start trying. It took six months that time. So we were kind of prepared for it to not happen, you know, the first couple of times. And then, okay, so six months, that was good. Second pregnancy, I like, I loved it. I felt great. Um, I loved, you know, like knowing what was to come and my belly popped quicker and my boobs popped quicker. And I just like felt, I loved my second pregnancy um, and was so focused and doubled down on mindset 
prep. So like at that point, by my second pregnancy, I had closed my clinical practice because I got sick with Crohn's because I was trying to do all the things. Um, completely burnt out, got so sick, was losing weight every day. It was like very scary. So closed the practice, went online and then got pregnant with my second baby and was no longer, nothing was happening with the system that I was using in clinic that I had created from all the research that I had done. It was just like in the back of my brain. Mm -hmm. And so when I was prepping for my second baby, I was like, I need to actually create a program out of this. I need to put it online. I need to make it more accessible for people because it's not helping anyone right now. And I have so much knowledge. I have so much that could help. So that, as I was pregnant with my second baby, I was creating love your labor. So that was very preparatory. I would say like very um, like built my confidence up a lot because when, whenever you need to know something, the best thing to do is to teach it. Right. Cause then you have to become the expert. So I was feeling so good. My mindset was great. I was not bringing any negative energy or fear or anything into this birth. However, we did decide to have this baby in hospital instead of attempting a home birth again, just because like the hospital, the hospital transfer was so scary. I was like, I'm not doing that again. So I want to go to the hospital in an empowered way this time and have my natural birth. So that's what we did. We ended up um, showing up at the hospital. Once I went into labor, we labored at home for like three or four hours, I think, um, went into the hospital and <clears throat> was six centimeters dilated. So my midwife was like, great. Okay, perfect. You're staying. Cause I had done all the love your labor stuff. And so the whole entire labor was me, my husband and my midwife. I didn't see one nurse. I didn't see one doctor. It was like this corner room. It was a big room. We kept the lights really dark. Like it was so good. Did it you was... request that specifically, or it just kind of happened organically that way? Yeah. Yeah. Like it just all lined up. And we attempted to have uh, not a water birth because that wasn't a possibility at the hospital, but like a water labor, mm -hmm. but I just kept falling asleep and the contractions kept spacing out. And she's like, get out because it was like, we're on, we're in VBAC mode. Like this is like a mission. So we got out and found out, like we checked my cervix right before I went in and it was like seven centimeters. And then right after I got out, which was like a two hour window and it was still seven centimeters. And she's like, how do you feel about breaking your water? I'm like, I feel great. Let's do it. Like I'm all for, I'm not like anti-intervention. I'm anti-labor funnel, right? Mm -hmm. So like the labor funnel is like the medical interventions that like women fall through starting with Pitocin, Epidural, and then, and moving along into, you know, vacuum forceps, episiotomy or C-section. So I was, I'm anti that, but I'm not anti like stretch and sweep. I'm not anti manually breaking your water. If the time is right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm okay with interventions that don't push you into the funnel. So I was like, yes, let's do that. So broke my water and immediately my amniotic fluid comes out and it's bloody. <laughs> and there's like, no, it's not like massively bloody, but it's like, there's blood in it. And she's like, Oh my God. Like, cause we were all worried about uterine rupture. Cause this mm -hmm. is that. So she's like, I'm nervous. I'm going to go talk to the OB. I will be back. And she goes and comes right back. She's like, I'm going to check your cervix one more time. So I have all of the information for him. And she checks it and she's like, you're nine and a half centimeters and the blood is no longer. So it was just like my cervix basically bleeding at the time of rupture. So we were like, 
<laughs> okay, perfect. Amazing. Keep going, keep going. And so we just, we hit a couple little odds and sods like Roblox and the love your labor handbook that I had was like helpful, helped us, you know, what position to do, what acupressure point to do. It just like helped us to dodge um, a couple other times where we thought it might be leading to C-section. Just kept continuing, continuing. And then I was like 10 centimeters dilated and it was, it was a long labor. Um, and I was having back labor cause he was OP. Mm. So my poor husband, I'm just like remembering <laughs> like, cause the back labor went down my back, but it also went down my bum and down the front of my legs. Mm. So my midwife was pressing my back and my poor husband was like rubbing my thighs. And I was like mid contraction, like yelling at him, like harder. And then he would go harder and faster. I'd be like, sore. <laughs> and he was just like, I don't fucking know. And I'm like, I'm sorry. It's just like such a gong show. Anyways, finally made it. And then my midwife at the end was like, we got to turn them so that we can have this easy delivery. So we were doing like lunges at the end to try to turn them from OP. It was so hard, but just working my butt off, right? Just like a woman on a mission. Finally got to 10 centimeters. Finally got him turned around. We were like, okay, perfect. By this point, I was so exhausted. So this is 12 hours in, but I had like been working the entire time. There was basically no like real early labor. I think I had dilated a little bit beforehand. So I was like working the entire time. And so I was like, she's like, how do you want to like get ready to push like hands and knees? Like what? I'm like, no, I'm laying on my back. Like I pushed in the lithotomy position, which is mind blowing for me because I advise women to avoid that at all costs, but like just the perfect example of like laboring woman shall determine because mm -hmm. I was just like, I will, I cannot, my legs will not after the lunges and all the things. And I couldn't ever sit or lay down in labor. Cause I was just like, couldn't cope. So I was like on my feet the whole entire time. And I was just like, I can't, I can't, my legs won't work. So pushed in the lithotomy position for two hours and was like, she was like, we are not like, we don't have time. Like you, you have to get him out. So, and she was actually pushing it. Like midwives are only allowed to be awake for a certain amount of time before they have to like call in back up and leave. But, and she was over her time. She's like, just come on. Like we got to do this. She was my primary midwife. I loved her so much. And she was just like rooting for me. So finally crowning and three four contractions of crowning and like, he's not coming. And I'm just like, holy crap, like the ring of fire for that long. Uh, I was like losing my mind. She's like, okay, I think if you can't like get up and go hands and knees, like, I think we got to do episiotomy. I'm like, great, let's do it. Like, let's get this over with. So she did an episiotomy. My husband delivered the baby, like everything immediately was amazing and perfect. So there was a couple little interventions, but again, like fine. I was happy with that. I got my natural birth in hospital, like VBAC success check. Like I was, I was happy. I was, and how, how big was he? He was eight, three. So yeah. Rowan was nine, 14. He was eight, three. Still pretty big. Yeah. Still pretty big. And but... how many weeks were you when you went into labor? He was, I was, I never actually made it to my due date for any of them. He was, I want to say two days before. So I went into labor three days before my due date. And then, so like in navigating the hospital system, were you having to kind of like advocate for yourself the whole time? Like, no, I don't want to be 
induced like I mean for you it sounds like you because you didn't even get to your due date maybe that wasn't even ever a conversation but I even actually I know for um if you've had a c-section in the past Mm -hmm. sometimes they'll be like let's just schedule one at 39 weeks but maybe because you already had you had been like brewing for four years like I'm I'm gonna do this differently maybe that wasn't even a conversation with the doctors that you had because you already had this awareness. Yeah. Um, So maybe you can tell us about like, if you ever got pushed back for anything or were you just kind of like on a mission and didn't get deterred by anything? Yeah. I got some pushback with my third birth. So if I forget to mention it, remind me of that. But um, for my second, like I said, my midwife knew how bad I wanted the home birth for the first. And I had the same midwife for my second. And so she never gave me any pushback. Um, but because I was a VBAC, I had to go for an OB consult. So he was actually the one who did the C-section. He was the one who pulled the plug on me last time. So he, I don't think he really remembered that, but I went in kind of like, yeah, I am going to like put my foot down with this man and be empowered this time. And so I went in and he was actually more supportive than I expected him to be because he had worked so much and so well with the midwife that I had. So he's like, yep, I think you're in great hands. Like, no, I have no concerns with any of this. Um, You know, the reason you had a C-section means you're a good candidate for a VBAC, like because he was breech and so big. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, but I was like, yeah, there will be like, no, I don't want any like, I don't want to see you basically. Like, I don't want to see any OBs. I don't want to see any nurses. I don't want any interventions. And I don't even want, I don't want an IV and I don't want, um, external fetal monitoring. That was the, Oh, with my first birth, I didn't advocate for any of that. I, as my, as soon as I got there with the ambulance, I was immediately hospital gown, IV, external fetal monitoring, which immediately you're like, I'm at, I'm at a hospital. I'm a patient. Danger. I am yeah. yeah. Like there's something wrong. That mindset piece messes you up. And I think that there's a lot of factors that went to my birth going sideways, but I, I do think that might be one of them. Well, and one, I'm so glad you mentioned the IV thing, because it seems like such a benign intervention. They all do. Yeah. But that in particular can dilute all of your hormones. So the cascade of hormones that you need in order to have an efficient labor are being diluted. So you're, I mean, people think about it as just this, like, oh, whatever, it's just fluids, like, cool, I don't need to drink water. But mm-hmm. actually allowing your system to, you know, to, to drink water when you need it and just kind of having like naturally hydrating yourself when it feels necessary would then not lead to that dilution of the hormones and all of that. So anyway, it's just something that people don't think about as being that big of a deal or that yeah. much of an intervention, but it really is. So yeah. anyway, I'm glad yeah. that you mentioned that. Yeah. These are all little tiny things that they just, they automatically place on you. They're like, okay, you're at the hospital for your birth, but here are the things. And it's like, well, you need to know, you need to advocate. So that's why I went in and I was like, there will be none of this. And he's like, yeah, I mean, I think that that's all very reasonable. You you're basically trying to have a home birth in hospital. Right. And I'm like, yeah, basically like, because this is a VBAC. I just don't want anything scary to happen. I don't know. So I'm just, you know, going to do it all natural, but here. So he was actually really, um, supportive and positive, but I did have to lay it all out, you know? Yeah. And I think that's that's the thing. thing. It's like, if you don't educate yourself, there's less of an inclination to 
like do anything differently. They're just kind of like, and it's not any fault of anyone in particular. It's just kind of like, oh, well, this is the protocol. This is what we do. And if this person's just kind of like giving the power over to us, then we're going to take the lead and do yeah, things. We're going to do what works for us best. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So then uh, share anything that you'd like to share about the postpartum experience with the second child, um, if there's anything that stands out. Yeah. Um, nothing stands out overly like breastfeeding was so much easier. It was like night and day. So just having the techniques is, is of course, every baby is different, like we said, but having those techniques, I felt so much more empowered with that. But I, I, <laughs> my baby's personality, like, and now knowing him as like an almost seven-year-old, I'm like, yeah, no, this makes perfect sense. Like inside he was like ninja baby and like constant, my belly looked crazy. And, um, and then outside he was just so fussy and so, he cried for six months, like just, just miserable. You could not make this baby smile. You couldn't make him happy. He was just like grumpy all the time until he figured out how to move. And then he was just like, I'm out of here. He was so happy. We finally saw his personality rise to the surface. And it was just like, oh, so that, that was the problem is that you were like constantly stationary. <laughs> he was frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh my God. And now knowing him, he just doesn't sit still. So it's just like, yeah, your personality has come through. But I like looked at him in my arms the moment he was born. I'm like, I looked at Kyle. I'm like, he's going to be funny. Like I could see his sense of humor, like on his face. And it's so true. Like, I don't know. There's just like this intuitive connection between moms and babies. And because it was a natural birth, I did bask in that first, you know, that first holding that skin to skin, that initial latch. Like I didn't get that the first time around. And so I was just like loving it. And that bonding, like I talk about this in my workshop that like, you know, the, the hormones of natural birth set you up to be in this super loving, like alert, ecstatic, ready to bond hormonal position. And baby is also hormonally poised for bonding because of the adrenaline and, and oxytocin. So it's all just like, it's set up to, to deliver you into motherhood, just falling in love with this baby so deeply. So like, that was so precious to me to get that experience this time around. But yeah, otherwise, I mean, a difficult postpartum, but I, in a different way, I felt stronger. I felt way more empowered. Breastfeeding was great, but he was just like fussy. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. And then how about conception of the third child? Did you wait a little while um, between second and third? Yeah, we waited. It was just about three years between those two. Um, and kind of a funny story. So I'll do, I'll tell you a little blurb about before we conceived, we were, we were visiting. So we lived in Ontario, but we were visiting PEI um, where my family cottage is. And we had like a date night, my husband and I, we went out for dinner we walked on the beach and just like, there was this very synchronistic happening that we were watching the sunset and we got anyway, a lot of different things happened, but we were having this conversation where I was like, I think we need to move home. Like we are eventually going to have to take over this cottage. You know, that's always kind of been the plan was to move home where my parents and my family are. We have a little bit more support with the kids. It's like, if we're going to have another baby, you know, then we need to move home. So we made a deal. We made a pact that if we got pregnant again, that that would be our cue to move home. 
And literally like a week after we got home, (laughs) we found out surprisingly completely without trying. And the last time we had had sex was not even during a fertile period or the time I conceived was not even like, so divinely like divine conception kind of a thing. We were floored and I was not ready. Like we had so much to do before we moved to Nova Scotia. And I had had this really difficult baby last time. And I was like, I don't know if I'm ready to do this again. Like I, I was super actually upset for a little while. Then I got my head around it. I was like, okay. Um, Cause I had just created a new program. The new mama manual was like the sister program to love your labor, the postpartum piece. And I was like getting ready to promote that. But now I was like shocked by this pregnancy. So, and that meant we had to like renovate our house, pack our house, like sell our house, find another job for my husband, get a house on the East coast. Like all, it was just, and I really wanted to have a home birth this time. So I was like, holy cow. Okay. I had to put work to the side. I had to like do all of those things, get the house organized, all the things, house hunting, job hunting, but like preparing for this birth was probably my most important piece out of all of that because I was like this is my last baby I am I'm go big or go home kind of thing so I was prepping my body my mind like love your labor style but also at this point I was getting really invested in like energy and vibration and manifestation and attraction and I was like I'm gonna implement all of this because my birth experience is so like so important to me. This was like a rite of passage. And I was like, I cannot leave this planet without having this experience. So um, I did all of the things I manifested like crazy meditating every day, visualizing, like doing the affirmations, just, just doing everything. And then we finally like made all the pieces fell into place, like all at the perfect time. We sold our house that went through it fell through and then sold it like a week later at a higher price. And like, everything was just working out for us. So great. So I was like, okay, next thing is the birth. And we had my mom there visiting to be with the little boys. And, um, it was one day before my due date and it was mother's day. And I had been having prodromal labor, like for probably like five days. It was like close to a week. I was like getting so exhausted. I was like, this just needs to pick up. And then Mother's Day, we had people over and I was starting to get really teary and emotional and the contractions were getting like harder to deal with. So I'd have to like go around the corner and like (sighs) deal with this contraction. So finally, like dinner was, my husband was like gonna make a big Mother's Day thing. I was like, nope, you're getting pizza. I'm going upstairs. I need to deal. So we, mom took the boys downstairs to her room to have like a sleepover. Kyle and I went upstairs and it was like the most intense. I, I do have the jeans. I do have the four hour power birth of jeans because it just hit the ground running. I was three hours. It was a three hour birth. I basically labored in the same position the entire time. Um, we held off calling the midwife and just kept putting it off because I was like, I, I want to make sure that this is right. Like it was going so fast. Like the the first was 24 hours. The second was 14. So I was like two hours in, like, how can I be this, this deep in? I just was in denial. So we eventually called the midwife who I'll tell this, don't forget to tell me the story or about the story about pushback, because 
one midwife was not going to work out. And so I really wanted this one certain midwife to attend my birth. She came on call like five minutes before I called her. So like holding off all of that was like perfectly timed. We called her. She's like, okay, I'll be right there. We called my neighbor who was coming to take pictures. She was like, okay, I'll be right there. She literally arrived, took a few pictures. My water broke. The midwife walked in. She's like, oh my God, get on the bed. You're going to have this baby on the floor. Got on the bed, two pushes. Vance was here. Like it was, I still get goosebumps when I think about it. Um, it was the highlight of my life. It was so perfect. I, I felt so like primal. I felt so the noises that I was making, like I felt so comfortable in my own home to just like, oh, let go. And I know that that contributes, knowing that you don't need to go to the hospital, that contributes to a smooth and efficient birth. That's a huge mental block. Like, when do I go? How is that going to go? Like that whole thing is such a, uh, a block to your, your getting into the flow of the actual labor. A hundred percent. I was just, well, I actually, I want you to keep going because you were, I think you were going to share about the pushback. Okay. So the pushback piece was that I was, so there's three midwives on a team and my midwife that I loved so much was on mat leave this time. So it was one that I knew and two that I didn't. And one of them, the other two were fine, but one of them was very, very medical. She was very clinical and not at all maternal, not at all warm and friendly, like, and so I'd always, I'd only met her a few times. And I was just like, I'm not so keen on her. And, you know, she's fine for people who like that, but I, I, it was just not the vibe I was going for. And then on the very last appointment that I met with her, which would have been, <clears throat> I think like my 39 week appointment, it was, she was the last one I saw. She was like, yeah, I I've been meaning to talk to you about this. <clears throat> I don't actually think that you having a VBAC at home is safe. Your baby could die. If you don't get to the hospital in time, your baby could die. She said it like three times and knowing like being in the position that I am in with my work and like knowing how the fear mongering, the whole system, the whole thing, I literally looked at her and was like, are you seriously saying this to me right now? Like I was flabbergasted that she was like projecting her fear onto me. And none of the other midwives said anything about this. They were all very supportive of my home birth. I'd already had a successful VBAC in hospital. It was almost three years later. There was no need for her to, to, to say that to me. And I literally looked at her and was like, you will not be attending my birth. I am sorry. You are great. I'm happy to be in your care postpartum. However, if you're on call, when I go into labor, you're going to need to line someone else up. And I, I, you will not be coming because your energy is not going to benefit me. If you are afraid in my birth experience, like you're going to pull the plug on me. And I'd already had that happen before. So I was just like, I'm sorry. Like, this is more important to me than your feelings. Like, and she actually was relieved. She was like, okay, great. That sounds amazing. I have exactly the person I know to, to back me up. I'm like, okay, this is so good that you know, she wasn't offended. She was actually, I learned later had had a traumatic experience where she attended a VBAC home birth. So I was like, I don't discount your feelings or your fear, but you cannot bring that into another woman's birth space. And I said that to her, I was like, listen, like, I don't know what, like why you're saying this, but you can't do that. Like every birth is different and you can't, you can't like take away my 
opportunity because of your fear. So that was like, she was on call until 10 minutes before I went on labor and then like, or what until I went and called the midwife. Um, and she, the other one was on call that I wanted. So it's also just kind of interesting timing that at 39 weeks, that would be like all of a sudden. I know. Yeah. I think it's just because I saw her so infrequently that it was like, she didn't long, have an opportunity. Maybe it was yeah, like a okay. long time before I saw her. And then it was like, but it was so close. I was like, I am, I am flabbergasted right now. Like just, I felt like a mama bear. Like I was just like, you will not take this birth experience from me. I was like a woman on a mission. There was, my husband was like, Whoa, like he is not in any way confrontational. He was like, I would, if I were there, like I wouldn't have been comfortable with that. I'm like, well, I'm glad you weren't there then because like I had to do this and like, look at how it turned out. It was perfect. So like, so, yeah. And so what I was going to say before is that, do you attribute the, um, it being so much, not that like it being fast is like, yay, gold star, but there is, I think something to the efficiency of your body and in doing it in an amount of time, like whatever the amount of time that you need is, but there's also times when it seems like it's kind of stalled out and there can be a number of causes for that, right? Do you mm-hmm. attribute mostly going to the hospital with the second birth as being the reason that it was longer and that long pushing phase? I, I, it's so hard to say, right? Because it was a hospital birth, but it was, it was such a positive hospital birth. Mm-hmm. Um, that it, it is hard to say, especially where he was OP. I, I wondered too, if that was impacting the progress of my labor. Um, and also that because even though it was my second baby, because I never dilated past five centimeters the first time around, it was kind of like, it was my first vaginal birth. So I still felt pretty good about 14 hours. I was like, okay, like that's, you know, I was aiming for like eight to 12. So 14 was like, not too far off. Um, three was, was not, like I said, not even in my, my consciousness. I was like expecting eight to 12 again. Like, cause that's just what my body seemed to like, mm-hmm. uh, the longer labors, but this was just, I do, I, I don't. So, <clears throat> so my answer to your question is, I don't think necessarily the longer labor was hospital induced, but that the shorter one was home induced, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because I was home that everything was so smooth and easy and fast. And like my body just like, like my midwife was literally like, oh, I don't know why she was trying to scare you like that because your body's literally going to spit out a baby. (laughs) And I was like, yes, that's what I need to hear. Encouragement, positivity. Like, yeah, get me in the right headspace. Like, let's go. Not like, it could be scary. Like, yeah, I mean, I think it's so important when you're pregnant to I don't know, not to like delude yourself into being like, oh, whatever. Like, I don't want to hear anything negative, but I, I do kind of feel like that's at least was my approach during my pregnancy was just kind of like, I'm only going to read and listen to good stories about women being strong. And I mean, I did listen to like stuff about the labor funnel and watch some of the, the movies that go into that. And just to kind of like you know, educate myself about yeah. what I was avoiding or what maybe could present itself if I did end up having to transfer for some reason. Um, but yeah, it's so important. And I also didn't, if anybody had like a 
you know, I, I'm going to have a home birth and they have some opinion about it that's negative. Um, just not going to talk to them about it again yeah. um, was kind of the approach. So yeah, if there's anything you'd like to share about, um, yeah, anything that I just mentioned, I'd love to hear it, but your perspective yeah. on that. Yeah. Yeah. So I call that your birth bubble. And that is that, you know, we get more than enough fear mongering about natural birth from the time we are little girls, right? Like think about popular media, TV, movies always show us this very scary, painful, highly medicalized, traumatizing scenario. They never, ever show you a positive, empowered, smooth and efficient natural birth where a woman is, you know, having an orgasmic, ecstatic birth experience. Never, right? It's never portrayed that way. So we get more than enough negative propaganda about that. So I think it's more than okay to just put the blinders on, put the earmuffs on and only talk to people who are empowering you, encouraging you, supporting you, loving you, making you feel like, yes, absolutely. You got this. This is normal, natural physiological process. Like you just got to get your mind, right. You got to get your heads, your head space, right. Because your mind, like, this is what I explain in my, in my workshop is that like, if you think of something sad, you're, you will get a lump in your throat. You will get teary eyes. If you think of something exciting, you will get butterflies in your belly. Your heart will start to speed up. So like your thoughts absolutely affect your physiology. So if you're going into your labor, terrified, scared, feeling like you're going to suffer or be victimized, well, that is going to absolutely block your labor hormones because you're going to be in fight or flight mode, right? So it's like all of this stuff is, it's so important. Just get your mindset right. Your mindset is number one. First thing you've got to know, this is normal. You've got to normalize it. You've got to get out of the fear mongering societal birth bias, and you've got to protect that birth bubble. Totally. Don't talk to people who are not encouraging you. Just don't talk to them about it. They're not a part of your, it's none of their business, frankly, like, right. It's like a decision between you and your partner and your provider kind of, but like really between you and your partner. Yeah. So it's really no one else's decision or yeah. business. That's such a good point. And that's actually a good segue into talking about motherhood <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because people have all sorts of opinions about yeah. that too. Um, so if there's anything you'd like to share about motherhood in terms of like how it's changed you or things that are most rewarding or most challenging, um, oh, anything gosh. that comes to mind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh my goodness. What do I want to say about motherhood? Well, it's very fulfilling. I must say to be a mother, like I've always just, I've like, since I was a little girl, like had all the dolls, super maternal playing house constantly. Like everyone I knew who had a baby, I was like rubbing their belly. I was always like visiting in hospital, visiting new babies. Like I have wanted to be a mama since I was a baby, basically little, little. And um, so super fulfilling to me to have my own kids and be able to be that maternal figure. Um, one thing I will say that, that parenting, oh my gosh, like, cause now my kids are big, right? Well, big quotation marks. Um, my oldest is 10 and then Harvey will be six or seven in July and Vance will be four next month. So they're a little bit bigger now, their personalities, like that's what blows my mind. It's like mothering an infant is like, you know, it's so great. It's all these things, but then they grow up and they are their own person. And it's like, holy cow, managing the dynamics of it all. And like parenting each child the way that they need. Um, and also really realizing that like kids, I mean, it's like the nature nurture debate, right? It's like, 
how do I have three children who all came from me and my husband and raised in the same house and, you know, all the same factors environmentally, but you're so different. Mm-hmm. Right. And it just goes, I just come back to like, you like, cause it's like parenting is, is so hard. Like behavior I find is just like, you know, it's, historically or like when I was growing up it's like a reflection of the parents so you have to be good you have to like the da, da, da but it's like I've really realized like you can't control people like they are who they are and I'm not saying like my kids run rampant run wild or whatever but it's like also I'm not gonna like force them to conform and be like super on them to to you know change and be the way I want them to be it's like I just I'm the kind of mom who's like yeah let's see who you are let's see how you are like they get the the basics of like, you know, manners and politeness, how to treat people and things like that. But otherwise, like, I just love seeing how they are and who they are and what they like. And like, right now, this is, again, a bit of a different topic because he's bigger, but like my, my oldest, um, you know, he's always, my middle son is very like athletic and he loves sports and he just, just a natural. Whereas my oldest son has kind of been feeling like, I don't know, like I'm not, finding my thing and then we just got him into coding and he's like click like you so you see okay so different kids have different like affinities and they have different contracts like soul contracts if you believe that you know like they're here to like do actual different work on the planet so it's like finding out it's like decoding your kid like okay well who are you and what are you going to be like and what are you going to do and it's that's where I'm at right now in my parenting and I'm loving it like I'm just like frig these kids are so cool they're so badass they're not the same person they are all so just original I love them I love it I love it entirely and how it's changed me is just like frankly I think I'm a lot more laid back like because you can't control it's just like it's like it's a gong show you have three kids you're trying to run a business like I I just am way more laid back I don't try to control everything anymore like when I had my first it was like what's he eating what's he like everything was so perfect and I get that as a first time mom like I think most first time moms are like that that's not abnormal but like by the time you get to the third you're just like okay we're good you're good everybody we're like we're laughing you're just you're more like like you've caught your balance kind of Mm -hmm. yeah yeah more relaxed I've heard that across the board I only have one child so I don't know but I can relate to that like hyper vigilance and sometimes I'll see mom's at the playground with like multiple kids. And I'm like, they're like, Oh my God, are you okay? And they're like, Oh, she's your only kid. I'm like, yeah, (laughs) is it that obvious? So yeah, I think it does um, sort of relax you over time. For sure. Yeah. Which is Um, cool. Yeah. And then I would love for you to share about your programs more specifically. um, And then your book, if you would like to, and yeah, anything that you'd like to share about your offerings. Yeah. Amazing. So my book, I actually, I'm coming up on one year since I've self-published that. So that's called the badass birth goddess. And what that basically is it's because people are like, well, you have a book and a program. So like, what do I do? And it's like, you, they're both applicable because my book is my birth stories are, are kind of sprinkled throughout, but otherwise it's like my experience, like as I became a naturopathic doctor and the things that I learned and some research, but like like birth is big business and, you know, like the labor funnel and things that you need to know about in order to have an empowered birth. And also in my book is where I really delve into a lot of manifestation stuff. 
um, how to manifest your best birth and, and your energy and vibration and the vibrational scale and the emotional vibrational scale and understanding where you are and all of that. Um, so that's where the book uh, comes in. And then it basically is like, if you want the exact naturopathic protocols to achieve your smooth and efficient birth, that's where the Love Your Labor program comes in. So it's actually expanding right now. Every, every couple of years I do like an update to it. Um, so I'm in the process of expanding it right now, but right now it is six modules. So we have the labor prep. I'm just going to like, oh, I hope I get this right off the top of my head. Labor prep, partner prep, breastfeeding prep, birth prep. So that's where we talk like natural labor induction stuff. Um, and then overcoming birth obstacles is the fifth module, which is like, there's a series of obstacles that trip you into the funnel. So the funnel is like while you're in labor, but there's obstacles before you go into labor. So that kind of decodes all of that you know, how to avoid it, how to advocate for yourself. Um, and then the sixth is the birth manifestation module and we have weekly Q and A's. So that's just like, it's the thing with love your labor is that it's so proven, right? I've, I've been running it since 2015. I have thousands of women who've gone through it. I have like so many success stories. So I just, I feel so good and so confident about it. I just love, love, love that program and the group of women like that it attracts is like you can attest to the Facebook group is just like so loving, so encouraging, so supportive. Um, I love it so much. So that is that. And then the program is is an investment in time and money. Um, but there's a free workshop that I run that's called the five day empowered natural birth secrets. So when you purchased, it was probably off the webinar. So yes. Yeah. So I used to do a two hour webinar every week, but I, since 2021 have been pivoting my business to talk more about the energetics of just life in general, 3d, 5d, high, high vibe, low vibe kind of stuff. Um, and I wanted to incorporate that into my teachings, but didn't want to make the webinar longer. So I was like, okay, let's divide it into a five day free Facebook workshop. So that's what I do now. And it's honestly so amazing. It is fire. Like people leave there and they're just like, I am ready to go. They feel so empowered. So that's kind of my, my free offering. And then if you wanted to continue on with the whole program, then that is, that's where love your labor comes in. So, um, the Facebook group like is open to anybody. So you can, um, I'll give you the link to put in the show notes. I sure, think yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, brownrithlove.com forward slash five day secrets is where you would go to um, register um, for that. You, yeah, I don't know if you can just search up the group because we have two groups because we run it weekly. So one week, the group is like warming up and filling up and mm -hmm. then the other group is live and then they swap. So then this group is live and the other group is filling up. So um, you have to kind of sign up and to get put into the proper group. Okay, so, got it. Yeah, so that's where that that you can go to register. Cool. Yeah. And then you kind of just mentioned, but you can just share your website and yeah. Instagram and wherever you're most active on totally. social media. So my website is brownrootslove.com. Um, but I would say like, even though my workshop is hosted on Facebook, Instagram is by far where I hang out the most. That's where I've got posts and stories and reels, um, just about every day up there. And all of my relevant links are also in my bio. So that's where you'll find love your labor. You'll find the workshop. You'll find my book, the audiobook version of my book. Um, yeah. So all of that is, is right in there. 
Cool. Awesome. Yeah. And I'll link all of that in the show notes as usual. Perfect. So, um, okay. so my Instagram handle, I don't think I said Oh yeah, that. no, you didn't. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. So it's brownroots.love. Yes. Okay. Brownroots.love. And there will be, yeah, there will be a link for that too. Okay. Um, yeah. Any last thoughts or anything that you'd like to share? No, no last thoughts. Well, no, nothing else about my story, but I just wanted to thank you so much for this. Like I got to talk about so many things that I never really get, you know, a platform to share about. So this has been very nice connecting and, and getting to share my, my experience with these things. Yeah. I mean, and I love it. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that my listeners love it too. Just hearing <laughs> like the whole sequence of events for women. It's, it's, a lot of people don't have an opportunity to talk about it. So I think women enjoy hearing other people's story. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Holly. Yeah, thank you again. I am very excited to announce that I have a couple of new products available at the Rosebud Wellness shop. So one is a full moon rose abdominal massage oil, and the other one is a new moon lavender abdominal massage oil. So each of them are made with jojoba oil and the flowers that they have inside of them. And then the full moon one is set out under the light of the full moon and the new moon is set out under the darkness of the new moon so that they absorb that energy at those different times. And I also wanted to mention that you can use my coupon code, which is WOMB, W-O-M-B, at checkout to receive 10% off your first order. So also don't forget that I have my Yoni Steam herb blends available there, these two new massage oils, and then you can also use that coupon code for a Yoni Steam or any kind of consult with me. So uh, that's rosebudwellness.com slash shop and use the code WOMB, W-O-M-B, at checkout. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And also don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you'll be notified of future episodes as they're released. You can also find us over on Facebook at the Womb Wisdom Community. And also you can find out more information about the offerings that I have at my business, Rosebud Wellness, on my website, rosebudwellness.com. I offer acupuncture and Arvigo abdominal massage sessions in person in Thousand Oaks, California, which is in the Los Angeles area. And I also offer virtual Yoni Steam consults, if that's something that's interesting to you. And also you can find uh, the Yoni Steam herb blends that I offer on the Rosebud Wellness shop at rosebudwellness.com shop. So thanks again for listening. Till next time.